0: Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey Bruce.
1: Hey David, how are you doing today?
0: Beautiful day out there, beautiful fall day in Edmonton.
1: Absolutely Falls, go-
0: not the best, but
1: uh, absolutely gorgeous. I'm just back from my walk Walking on a carpet in a couple of places that wasn't there a couple of days ago. These leaves are starting to come down.
0: Alrighty, they are. Mm.
1: Hockey I, I time, man. It's hockey time. It's I didn't
0: I didn't know this, but the, the reason that the leaves turn isn't just that they're dying, but my wife was telling me this. Fact check this if it's wrong. Uh, the plant to survive the winter sucks in the chloroform from the leaves to help it uh, get energy. And mm-hmm. that's what that's why they turn from green to uh, yellow and brown.
1: Really?
0: I, I had no I idea. did
1: not I did not know that but I did know there was a process to them turning and a reason for them turning and uh, it's our blessing that they do that because the fall is a very beautiful time of year.
0: Yeah, if only it was a month or two later. <laughs> All right <laughs> like it is in Ontario when I lived there for a, uh, went to university there at Carlton. Bruce. We've got some news, actual, honest-to-goodness Oilers news. Uh, One piece of news which is really frustrating is uh, Oilers' uh, first-round draft pick in 2020, Dylan Holloway. The first surgery on his wrist did not work. He's had a second surgery, which has been deemed already successful uh, by the Oilers in their tweet and will be out at least 3 months and Bob Stoffer on orders now was saying maybe more like 4 to 6 months. So Bruce that's the bad news. The Oilers uh, have signed Colton <laughs> see if you're on a PTO. Um Kyler Yamamoto still not at camp. And we're also going to talk about some comments that Connor McDavid made about winning now. Now is the time. Let's start out though let's start out with the the, the bad news. Um about Holloway, Bruce. There's just no other way to frame it. I mean, we were there were starting to be rumors this week that it hadn't healed up, and it's so frustrating. I mean, it's frust- Listen, he's got plenty, nothing but runway left on his career. He's 19 years old. How often do you hear about a wrist injury being a career-ending injury? Hardly ever at all. Although they can be quite bothersome, Bruce. This is but surgeries that don't work. That's that kind of enters into the territory of oh shh. and um, (laughs) that's (sighs) and um, especially for like such a promising player we were looking forward to seeing him in Bakersfield now in Edmonton and you know last fall last spring in Bakersfield didn't happen because of the first injury and surgery now this it's he's got to be frustrated Um, the organization does it of course all the fans
1: well he spent a big part of last year waiting around as you'll recall I mean he went down to Wisconsin Played two great games and they pull him out and uh, he went to try out for Team Canada and he had to he had to quarantine for two weeks and then uh, just when they hit the ice somebody on the team got sick and they had to quarantine the whole team for two more weeks and then he got hurt in the first game of that tournament and it set him back a little bit and then he absolutely lit it up at Wisconsin in the second half of the season he he was. Just fantastic scoring two two plus points just about every game for a long stretch, and uh, playing great hockey by all accounts. Dominating in the faceoff circle, skating hard, winning puck battles. You know, just being a a, a real uh, good player in, in multi multi dimensions. And I, from what I saw, I was impressed enough that I had ranked him as the number one prospect on the Oilers. And then of course he got he did bang up his um, uh, his scaphoid and it's a very it's a dangerous kind of injury. I'm I'm pretty worried about this to tell the tell the truth cuz it's the bone in the base of the thumb that um, uh, it has a fairly poor blood supply. So it doesn't heal oh, yeah. fast. Oh yeah. And I be- believe that's also the one that's somewhat hollow that the break can put, get pushed in and it's a little harder to realign it. And it's a difficult one. Now, that's the same bone that what I learned about the uh, scaphoid. I learned in 1988 when Kevin Lowe broke his scaphoid uh, a couple weeks before the uh, Oilers' fourth Stanley Cup run. And Kevin Lowe being Kevin Lowe, he just uh, put a cast on it and played right on through it. And then when... Paul McDermott nailed him late in Game 5 of the first round series and broke his ribs. He played with the broken ribs and the broken scaphoid for the last three rounds of the playoffs. But that's not what you want a 19-year-old kid doing. do. And you want him to get healthy and you want him to get right. But the frustrating fact is he's waited six months to get to this point. And now we're talking about potentially another four to six months. I mean, the whole season, essentially. So how uh, how frustrating is that?
0: Here's what musculoskeletal key says online: the scaphoid remains the most commonly fractured carpal bone, and at greatest risk in athletes engaged in high impact collision sports such as football, and or in sports with the potential for high impact such as basketball and snowboarding. All right. Uh, anyway, bad news, Bruce. Really bad news. Yeah. And um, you know, he, he again, he could have made the team out of camp this year. There was a there was a, a there was a you know, if they had loved him, and they, I think they were going to love him, he could have made the team. Now, that opens the door for some other players, and um, Tyler Benson, Cooper Morody, Kyle Turris, Devin Shore, Brendan Perlini, they're all competing for one or two spots, depending if Kyler Yamamoto comes to camp. And um, now there's another guy added to that list, Bruce, 32-year-old Colton Sevier. Who we got a we saw quite a bit one year during the mm-hmm. lock lock I think it was the lockout year in All 2012. Right.
1: Yeah.
0: Um we saw him play a lot for for the Texas Stars against uh, you it know did. Taylor Hall and Eugene Hopkins and Everly Down in Bakersfield, and he was a, I thought he was a good player then. I mean he by mm-hmm. the end of his AHL career he was ripping up that league. He's a hardworking, hard fast skating, hardworking player um, who scored a you know became a point per game score at the AHL level, point per game plus actually in his final year there, when he got sixty-three points in fifty-four games for the Texas Stars in 2013-14. He had a long career down there. He was five years in the NHL. Five, five years. That's like <laughs> that's he's like William Logison's looking at that guy. Yeah, that's that's uh that's what I'm <laughs> five years because now he's played five hundred NHL games since then. Yeah. So he's uh always been a bottom line guy in the NHL Two years where he scored, you know, 11 goals were his, his top years. And I, I'm okay with this signing. I mean, um, Yamamoto's not here. There's going to be injuries. Someone else might break their scaphoid. Who knows what's going to happen, right, as the year goes on. I, this is, you know, my only concern, Bruce, is I was hoping, I've been hoping Marodi and Benson get a shot. And they are different players, I think, than Sevier. They're more more in the skill role, although Sevier was every bit as good in AHL scoring as those two guys were at the same age, um, so I'm just a little concerned this takes away their opportunity, mm, and I'm worried that the the you know my headline on my story Bruce was Greybeard Incorporated, and this so this is another Graybeard, this is another checker I think that they're bringing it in, and and I could see you know Dave Tippett having a sweet tooth for this kind of player, uh, which is fine if it if you win it's fine it's all good. But I was, you know, I'm just, that was my one concern about Benson and Marodi, getting maybe a little bit less chance.
1: Yeah, yeah, this guy's got, he's got quite the career. He came up through Major Junior, and he played parts of five years in in Major Junior, four full years of, you know, 70-ish games a year. And as you point out, five full years in the AHL, five years. And and he played like 70 games, he played 300 just under 350 games in the ahl and then he finally elevated himself to the uh, to the uh, nhl and he's got another 500 pro games under his belt so i mean the guy is a survivor if nothing else i mean you got to be you got to be fairly impressed by that uh uh staying power so i mean here he's you know come up went after a fairly looks like uh um, very borderline year in Pittsburgh last year. He went deep into uh, uh, he went deep into the summer without having uh, a contract. But I guess he got a deal. and it wasn't a PTO. It's a, it's a contract. I'm just catching up here.
0: Oh no, it's a PTO.
1: It, oh, it's a PTO.
0: Signed to a PTO.
1: So, okay, did I say? Okay, thank you. Oh, signed to a PTO. No, I just I heard signed and I, I assumed okay. So he's a PTO. That's you got to sign yet. that. Yeah.
0: But yeah, better, yeah, it's not a signed contract. No, it's not. Yeah, Bruce, I I agree with that. And uh mm-hmm. uh the other player of course competing for that uh, that job, one or two jobs is Kyle Turris. Mm-hmm. So uh, there's one more guy there. Yeah. Um do, do you think it will stop limit Benson or Marody's opportunity at all? <sighs>
1: Oh, uh, not really. I mean, I guess if the guy hit it out of the park at camp, but I mean, really, how can he? I mean, you look at his track record, you know what you're getting. And, you know, and last year, I mean, he's been a 12 to 14 minute a player, uh, a night player all these years. But last year, he was down in Pittsburgh, nine minutes and 35 seconds, uh, average ice time. So uh, he didn't really grab a. Uh, a role there by the by the looks of it you know it's very much fourth line and he played 46 games so uh i don't know if he was injured or if he just was a coach's decision but i'd guess the latter like he's at that point where he's hanging on
0: so um josh yoshi of the athletic wrote a uh-huh. gave, gave a pittsburgh penguins report card and uh-huh. gave him a c plus for the year okay. and here's what he said quote consummate professional. There's no flash to his game, but if he needs to play in the playoffs, he can be trusted. There's something to be said for that, unquote. So this is this has me thinking this is a Dave Tippett special, like uh, yeah. just the kind of player they need. But you know what, Bruce? This is still COVID still around. Uh, apparently not everyone on the Oilers is vaccinated. They may need... They may need a checking winger before this thing's all over. They may need more players. So, you know, I, I'm good with the idea. Bring this guy in. You don't know what's gonna happen. He's on a PTO, nothing to lose. The other question is, Bruce, why not bring in Alex Chaseon on a PTO?
1: Well, I, I was in, say. instead
0: of this guy, he's Chase younger. It's yeah. hard to imagine that he's not a better player. Yeah. uh, Alex Chase I I remember Sevier as a faster skater, though. I could be incorrect about that, but my memory of Sevier is he's got a bit of he's got some wheels. So maybe maybe they wanted to get faster. I don't know, but why not, you know, Chase On just such a solid defensive hockey player at even strength and a listen, a power play absolute power play specialist. I'm I'm surprised that no NHL team has brought Chaseon in yet. So if you need a power play guy, bring him.
1: Yeah, I was going to thinking of this earlier that this uh, this is more or less technically saying goodbye to Alex Chaseon cuz the guy plays the same position and everything. Yeah. So both spent time in Dallas. Hey, anyway, he uh, um, that that would seem to uh, close the door on on uh, on Chaseon, and I kind of agree that I would have been pretty happy for them to bring him back on a PTO. at worked the last time, and you know he's a limited commodity, but a known one and a reliable one. But uh, I would dare say, from you know what we know about Sevier, I mean, five hundred games. Kind of
0: yeah, that's a lot of games. Maybe maybe they um maybe Chase on wants to go in a different direction. Maybe he's looking for something more still.
1: <sighs>
0: Better get it quick. Maybe the maybe Chase on, maybe the Oilers, and maybe the Oilers like, are thinking like maybe it's like we could bring Alex back. But then the pressure to keep him like we don't really want to go in that direction again. We're looking for we're looking for a change. And if we mm-hmm. bring him back like the it just creates kind of heartache on the team. Cause like, I'm just guessing that chase on's a well-liked player on this team, lots of friends. And then if you get rid of him after it, just, it just is a distraction that maybe you don't need. Does that make sense? Like, and that's, this is pure speculation on my part, but I could, that's what I thought and what maybe would be one of the reasons not to bring back chase on, on a PTO.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to speculate. I, I do imagine that he's a popular teammate. Um, He's a very well-spoken guy, and, he, you know, uh, he's a good teammate from everything that I've uh, seen. But I, I wouldn't expect anything left, less from uh, Colton Sevier, you know. So, and that's, in that respect. Uh, so, they don't know, you know Sevier, they, got, they,
0: know, uh, they know. They've got knows.
1: a veteran. And, well, Dallas, uh, did he overlap with Tippett?
0: Um, well, he would have been in the organization. Yeah. Oh, no, just wait a second here. Uh, yeah, he did, definitely. Oh, yeah. just wait a sec. 2000. When did Tippett leave Dallas? Because he was he was there at 2009, 10, at the Dallas mm-hmm. first Dallas camp. Right. I think okay. that's a tip. You know, he Tippett might have some familiarity with the player. Mm-hmm. Let's uh, put it that way. Yeah, I, you're right. Like it's it's easy, it's actually easy to speculate. It's easy to to say something useful when you are speculating. <laughs> it's for problem the speculation. So we generally don't get into that. But that's that's what was popping into my head. Anyway, yeah, jason,' uh, it's, it's interesting to see what's going to happen to that guy. I, I I'm surprised, Bruce, at this point that no one's no one signed him. What do you think about that?
1: Oh, a little bit. I mean I, I, I mean, he's not going to get signed for anything close to his last contract at this point. He's on the you know the million and under club. Uh, yeah. where you're doing well to get a million and you may well be taking the NHL minimum. Which is now seven hundred fifty thousand, so in somewhere in that range. But uh, there's, you know, they play musical chairs every summer with these guys, and sometimes, you know, they find a spot pretty late, and uh, uh, sometimes it it uh, works out for them. You know, they signed uh, um, was it uh, Kukuk a week before yeah. camp last year, and he wound up not only making the team but getting another contract. And, Jason was know, a
0: PTO previously. As mm-hmm. I recall. Um, yeah. So these things can work out. And uh I wonder who the best player the best couple of players, I don't I don't know the answer to this, unsigned players right now out there on that you can get on a PTO.
1: Devin Shore, right? He was a PTO. Devin, Devin Shore was two two more years. He's a, he's a he's uh
0: Yeah. Much to so everybody's delight, you know, everyone was so happy about that. Um
1: I, I I've made I've made my peace with that. <laughs> and I'm rooting for Devon Shore. I, I I had questions about the reasons behind the signing, and some of them have in fact been answered. And I think it's a chemistry thing. And and you got to give him you got to give the the chef a chance to pick his ingredients to some degree, right? So
0: and, and you need a guy who's going to be happy being the thirteenth or fourteenth forward. As Devin Shore is now you know that's that's going to likely be his role, right? He's not. He's not, yeah, he'll be in the <laughs> second line with Kater Yamamoto out now. He'll be on the second line. Hey, he had that one big playoff game, Bruce. Let's not he'll
1: forget He'll be on that. the fourth line with Colton Sevier and... and uh... Josh Archibald.
0: <laughs> you know it. The Tippett line. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the Dave Tippett dream line. Okay.
1: <laughs> Let's beat him one nothing in the shootout. <laughs> exactly.
0: Now you're talking, Bruce. Now you're on the right wavelength. (laughs) All right. Um, Kyler Yamamoto still not signed, Bruce. And I, uh, you know, I like Kyler Yamamoto a lot. I think he's a really good hockey player. He's a, a, and especially defensively underrated, but I like Cooper Morody a lot. And the longer this Mm -hmm. goes on, Cooper Morody's right shot. Mm -hmm. Kyler Yamamoto's a right shot. Cooper Morody is as strong, I think, an offensive hockey player right now as Kyler Yamamoto. Uh, he can he can really pass that puck. His shot is okay-ish, like Yamamoto. They're kind of similar in a lot of ways. Marodi's a bit more of a, I'm going to skate with the puck kind of guy. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he doesn't dig in on the forecheck, I will say that. That's Yamamoto's superpower as an NHLer. His unexpected superpower is his ability to dig in and grind out pucks and pop pucks constantly. Marody doesn't have that, but um, he he skates with the puck a little bit better. So he, um, if he was given a chance to play with skill in the NHL, I think Cooper Moroni would be okay for a while and might even surprise people. I mean, again, I've I've said this previously. You look at the you look at the Tampa model, which everyone's on fire for in the world, mm-hmm. deservedly so. Well, Yanni Gord had a season very similar at the same age to Cooper Marodi just had in the AHL. Very similar. It's hard to, you look at Yanni Gord's minor league career, Cooper Marodi's, the numbers look the same. That doesn't necessarily mean anything, right? Because there's lots of guys who put up good AHL numbers. Mm -hmm. That said, I mean, I see some NHL passing skill and thinking of the game from Cooper Marodi. So... I'd like to see him get a chance. I'd like to see Benson get a chance. And if Yamamoto, the longer he's out, the longer a skill player like Yamamoto's out, the more they're going to need a skill player. And I think those two guys, their chances of making the team go up. Do I think the Yamamoto's going to like? We don't see many holdouts anymore, do we, Bruce? Like long nope. holdouts? No, nope.
1: no. Nope. They generally get resolved early, and that's because it's in, in the interests of both sides to get it resolved. To have those kind of things drag out. It's yeah. just, it winds up being, you know, it, it winds up affecting both. And the Oilers have just been through this. I'm I'm actually a little disappointed in the Oilers here. I mean, people, people can say, well, Young Motor should sign for whatever they're offering. They need to get it done. And they needed to get it done last week. They needed they to get it done overpay, last though, month. First. No, they, they can't overpay. overpay. They need to get, but they, whatever they're going to come, whatever conclusion they're going to come to on the eve of training camp or, or, or three days into training camp, uh, there's no good reason they couldn't get it done. And I mean, to me, he's already paying a price. He's not with the team, he's not at the captain's skate, you know it's just a little thing, but they're already in the process of building the team for the year. They got the skill guys all playing together. In fact, they got a big chunk of the team playing together and he's on the outside. And we saw the exact same thing last year with Ethan Baer and how did that wind up well he eventually signed just before camp but then he, you know he came to camp late he had, you know there was there was hold ups and then uh, there was questions about his conditioning that came up later that i don't know what what to believe there well, but he didn't play well for the first 10 games he, he had he had a he had a difficult start and then he got beaned by a puck and a lot of things went sideways and he's gone from being a promising second year nhler to off the team and so why would why repeat that process that did not end well with Ethan Bear with another young developing encouraging young player that they're trying to grow from within their organization
0: well why you repeat that process or why you go down this road with Yamamoto it's a salary cap league and the Oilers mm-hmm. money's tight and mm-hmm. i i on this one i fully support the team and i i understand like I agree. This is setting the Oilers back, and it's setting Yamamoto back. But I think the Oilers are more set back if they give into a salary demand which doesn't fit into their cap structure. Bruce, this is a this is a team which is has spent a lot of money on a very few players. They're going to have trouble signing players going forward. They got a lot of young players coming up, a lot of competition. I say you don't want to be here. You can't agree to our, the money that we're giving. We're going to go with someone else for now. And see how that rolls. Like, like, honestly, I like Yamamoto a lot, but I think that you have to, at some point you got to be hard-headed, and, and, um, a player, if he wants to be here, will I don't see Ken Holland being like, you know, Glenn Sather in 1983 with, you know, <laughs> sharpening his pencil on your skull, you know, in terms of contract yeah. negotiation. he's a pretty reasonable guy. He tends to overpay. So if he's going to, this is a moment, I think where you draw the line and you tell the player, all right, here's, here's the number. This is the right. number, and if you don't want it, okay, we're going to go with some other guys for now. When you decide you want that number, you come and sign. Versus, they, they're the, not going to be able to keep every good player, right? Yeah. And and the players themselves, to some extent, will decide who that is. Is it going to be Pulley or Yamamoto who's going to get that contract for four or five million dollars a year? Then you know there's going to be you know there might be one contract for a more for for a forward like that mm-hmm. in the coming years. They're both going to want it if they perform. There's only one guy who can get it. So maybe we're going to, maybe it's not going to be Kari Yamamoto because of this situation. That's too bad, but that's, I I accept that as part of the salary cap reality of the Edmonton Oilers.
1: Well, where was this hard headed negotiating tactic when, uh, when Holland (laughs) was talking to Stan Bowman about uh, the uh, salary cap obligations, to Duncan Keith, you want cap space, that was his chance to negotiate some and he let it get away. I'm,
0: I'm not gonna defend I've I'm said, not I've defend said that. enough about so, it,
1: but I'm saying where's that hard you know, yeah, fair n- enough maybe nickel and diming it, a player over two hundred or three hundred thousand dollars, and you probably muffed a chance to I don't know, million or a million and a half Chicago would have retained to move that contract. That anyway.
0: is a completely fair comment, Bruce, and I completely hundred percent agree with you. So so, so we Yeah, I'm I, <laughs> I I get it. So I, you're right. Where was it? So now it's here okay. on this nope. contract.
1: Go ahead. Let me say one more thing about Duncan Keith, for I will. I'm not popular. hating on the player Duncan Keith. And in fact, <laughs> I this week defended the player Duncan Keith because some are getting on his case for not being in Edmonton and being oh, in the leadership group yeah. when what he's been doing is been in yeah. Kelowna with his son, which is why he said he wanted to be traded in the first place. So give the man a little bit of room for personal integrity. And now he's here today, and we'll see where it goes from here. I think he's here in plenty of time. But some this willingness just to jump all over Duncan Keith because you don't like the trade is you know let's see what he does for us on the ice before we uh you know but that doesn't mean I'm gonna have to like every detail of that trade because I don't
0: and that's fair enough and you know you're right like his son just started school his son's like a great he's like eight or nine years old he's just back in school you want to be there if you're a parent and I don't Uh, You know, this is this is the problem, Bruce. If you have come down like a load of bricks proclaiming Duncan Keith is a terrible player, as some people have, you, you have lost your credibility in terms of assessing this player going forward. You've dug such a deep hole in terms of in terms of your propensity for confirmation bias from this from this moment on that whatever you say. Unless you say I've changed my mind and I actually think he's a good player, then then that will have some weight. But if you just continue to see him bad and say he's terrible, I don't like. I don't, I'm not going to pay. Maybe he
1: will be terrible, but I mean, maybe, let's judge that be. on
0: what he does. Exactly. Let's watch the player with our own eyes and see what he does for the Edmonton Oilers, rather than take in, you know, make him carry the fact that you didn't like Ken Holland. That, not you personally. That someone didn't like Ken Holland grinding him down on the trade, and I know you won't do that. And it, we actually have a process to try to help us not do that, you know, to, to review the game, watch the scoring chances, see who's involved, not involved in these key plays and try to try to help that, have that help us assess the players in a, in a more fair and accurate manner. So we're at, we're, we're building that in too, but you know, if, if, you know, the problem is like, if you're convinced he's a terrible hockey player, even doing that process, you might, you might be, you know, your bias might overtake your judgment of the player. So yeah, I, I, I'm not a big fan of that kind of mode of there's nothing good about this guy because I didn't like the trade or I don't like the contract. And we see that, I think we see it often.
1: Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, well players get judged against their contracts and their cap hits all the time. And as they should be due to a yes, certain degree.
0: Yeah, but not right? the I mean, performance. You're judging
1: just, the team yeah. against them, but that's, you know, that's the GM's build, right? And, yeah,
0: judge the GM and that's fair. Yeah. And that's what oh. you've been doing. You've been judging Ken Holland, and and I think that's fair. And listen, I was not, I was not happy with that Duncan Keith thing in in the moment at that time. I hated it, the fact that he couldn't grind him down, a, another million or two. Like I just, I don't
1: like get it or anything, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just clear now. It's clear yeah. now that Ken Holland, I think, was, you know, he loved the player. And he thinks so highly of that player, he was willing to pay, pay that price. I hope Ken Holland is right. I don't know. I can't yeah. say I didn't. I didn't see that player. But um,
1: well, I'm rooting for Don Keith. He's an Oiler, and I root for the Oilers. You know, so this uh, I don't like this destructive stuff of, of you
0: know, rooting against them because of the G, what the GM did.
1: Well, for It only
0: happened to Adam Larson, Bruce, for four or five it's. years in a row here, and it only helped precipitate his leaving of the team. And I believe that. Some people are really going to object to what I just said. I think that's true. I, I think it's clear by now. Like, th- this happened. So it does have an impact. Like, we all think uh, what we say doesn't have an impact. It does. So, you know, we got to live with it. We got to live with the consequences of sometimes being really super negative about a player. So.
1: I thought the fan base didn't do too bad with Adam Larson in an important way, and that they, I didn't think they took out on him. This Taylor Hall, that he was traded for Taylor Hall, and just they were, you know, they were mad at Shirley for making the trade. Many fans, and uh, you know, they, and with reason, uh, to not like that trade. Uh, but um, uh, the I, I remember getting on the same hobby horse when Adam Larson was coming, saying, "Don't judge Adam Larson based on the trade you didn't like. Judge the trade." judge the player separately, and we will judge the player. And, and uh, I thought, uh, by and large, Larson was judged on his own merits. Uh, I mean, yeah,
0: I really like, you know, I really I, like the player. Put it this I, way, I, have to, it, I have
1: some complaints about that trade too, but I like the player. am
0: just going to argue against myself, because after mm-hmm. the first year when Larson did sign and the Oilers did well in the playoffs, and Larson and Clefbaum just killed it until Clefbaum got banged up. There was a lot of positive vibe about Adam Larson. Now that dissipated when he got hurt and he had, you know, personal problems with his father's uh, uh, early death. Yeah. Um, as his game fell apart, there was more criticism. I think the the, the recognition of his him turning it around was slow to come. Uh, some people got in a rut of judging him partly through the Hall trade and like when he did really turn it around and became, I think just an exceptional shutdown defenseman at the NHL level. I don't, I don't know if that was fully recognized uh, is what I'll conclude with. All righty. What's on our list, Bruce McDavid win now, win now, Bruce. So McDavid wants to, this is it. The veteran leaders are ready and it's time Mm -hmm. to win now. What do you think?
1: I'm all for it. It's, you know, the time the time is you know
0: <laughs> I'm against they, it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean they've had uh um since McDavid and Drysidle signed their monster contracts in the summer of twenty seventeen, which is four years ago. Yeah. The Oilers have won one playoff game. Even that was a play in game, but you know, they they've had They've gone sideways. They, they missed the playoffs. They missed the playoffs the second time in a row. When they finally got in, they got they got smoked in the first round. They got back in, they got smoked in the first round again. Time for progress. And that means getting in and doing something when you get there. And McDavid, uh, I, I haven't seen the entirety of his comments. Uh, um, uh, I hope there was a lot of we in there, but I hope there was a lot of I in there in terms of needing to lift his game. And, you know, coming coming up at the, uh, um, you know, when in crunch time, right? I mean, the whole team in crunch time last year, they weren't able to score all those overtimes. They weren't ever able to find even one goal to win one of those games. Um, you know, close, but they, they got to find that extra inch to get her done. And he's not wrong if that's what he's talking about.
0: How, how else would you say he has to lift his game other than, like, w- what are you thinking?
1: I got this this nagging thing that's been bugging me. Let it out, man.
0: Let it out. (laughs) Here we go. Here we go. Buckle your seatbelts.
1: Yeah. Now, this isn't the tying goal in game three where McDavid coughed the puck up in the home zone. This is the last game in game four where uh, the Oilers have killed the penalty, remember? Ethan Bear is making the long line change to the bench. And the other guy is coming on. Barry has got no chance to come on. And McDavid and Drysaddle are coming up the ice two-on-two two, right after a penalty. This was what they did all year, that, that they'd kill off the penalty and Tippett would throw McDavid and Drysaddle over the boards. And they'd attack the other team right after the power play. And the power play is so recently over that the defenseman is still going off on his line change. And yet, for whatever reason, here's Connor McDavid with the puck, dumping it into the zone. When he's on the attack with, with Drysaddle. And then he flubbed the dump in to the point that Pionk was able to pick the puck off along the boards, make the long outlet pass, and, you know, on to Connor and the, on the odd man rush, and boom, series over. And it was it's not so much the execution, but the, just, why are you dumping the puck? Why are okay, you going so, for it? All right, so like, for this us- is the, You're just on the ice fresh after your team has killed a penalty. Take it to them. And where was that?
0: Okay, are we talking here just one mistake? Or are you saying that's something indicative? Is it indicative? Uh,
1: well, that particular mistake, and then there was the one on the tying goal in the game before, where yeah. they blew the lead in the third period. But that mm-hmm. both times, McDavid had full possession of the puck, and he coughed it up. And the second one, I just don't know why he was doing what he was doing.
0: Well, McDavid himself... This summer, Bruce addressed his defensive play in, in, in the most honest and interesting way. I can't, I, I haven't been able to find the interview since then. And I don't believe I dreamed it, but I, I mean, I, I think he was saying something like, you know, when I was a young player, I was just always used to skate, 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 you know, get the puck on the fly, get the puck and go. And mm-hmm. he essentially was saying, I, I have to, I had to learn to stop and cover my position. That was the gist of it. Do you remember him saying that this summer? I, th- I, I saw an interview where he said that. And I thought, yes. <laughs> yes. This is exactly right. And we saw this last year. We saw a concerted effort from Connor McDavid Mm -hmm. much of the year to not be the guy who's, you know, circling, looking for the pass all the time, which centers have to do as well. And wingers, but who would cover the defensive slot, who would make sure he was on the right side of his man most of the time. We saw him do that on a consistent basis, much more than we had in previous years. And um, I, I agree that there was a couple mental errors in the playoffs. Part of a part of uh, a whole team which struggled with mental errors, which fell apart, which didn't have the compor- composure, uh, or as Steve Tambellini would say, the poise, the poise, Bruce, in in that in crunch time to make the right decisions. I think it with McDavid, it, like by the end, it's partially exhaustion, mental no, that, exhaustion.
1: that would be some, that it's, would be some of it, but
0: it's easy, it's easy there, but so. I think there are actually, you know, Mark Spector's been given hell uh, for a long time for criticizing McDavid's defense. I think Mark Spector was correct in his assessment that McDavid did need to improve his defense if he's going to be a center. If they're going to put him on the wing, it's a different question. If he's going to play center in the NHL, you've got to cover the defensive slot and you've got to do a really good job of it. He started to do that last year. It seems like he's well aware of this and he's going to take, he's going to increasingly take care of that business, which is fantastic. Like, I mean, I think he can be a brilliant two-way hockey player. It's just a matter of you got to rewire your, Mm -hmm. and that's what he was talking about, rewiring yourself from playing the game one way to a bit more static. I'm not leaving the zone until the puck's out of the zone kind of player, which is not what you want to do, but it's the center's job. I mean, it's, it's some forwards, some forwards got to be there to help the defense. I mean, if, and if you're the center, you're usually in that, what's it called the F1 position where you're the first guy back. That's Mm -hmm. often the center or it's, you know, He's got to do it, and I think he's going to do it.
1: Well, David, with his speed, he can be F1 on the defense, being the first guy back, and still be F1 on the attack where he's the first <laughs> guy in. So there's that. But, uh, yeah, in this particular case, and this, this is this is why I struggle with it, this was an offensive decision. He had the puck, and he threw yes. it away. And, and on the attack, early in a period where it's going to be as fresh as he was going to be, and so was the fresh ice, was Four minutes into first over or third overtime, wasn't it? That uh Winnipeg scored anyway. Yeah, that it's it just been niggling on me like that, that. That what an awful way to end the season! Like, he was the last order to touch the puck.
0: You don't think he <laughs> like this is the thing? I'm sure <laughs> no. he knows that. And remembers that. Yeah, he, well, if it's eating you, Bruce, I bet yeah, you it's eating I, him. Yeah,
1: fantastic. no, I, I'm sure, and I've been reluctant to bring it up, but it has been it has been niggling, and it's you know, it's all there on the tape, yeah. And. And I'll, I will say this: Neil Pionk made an absolutely fantastic pass on that play. Yeah, what a great touch! <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Like McKeven- they got the
1: little tiny 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 hole, and they capitalized on it. Uh, uh,
0: on on defense, he's got to be f one. On on offense, he will be AF one, Air <laughs> Force one. Um, or the other expression, AF. one Past AF. Yeah, past <laughs> AF one. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so Bruce, the win now thing, mm-hmm. okay, they're, the all-in argument. So we started to hear that we're good, they got a win now, they got to all, they're all in. We started to hear that argument after they s- signed Nugent Hopkins to this massive contract, which is, you know, it, when you look at hockey actuarial tables, it's an iffy contract, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight years into it. Probably a pretty good contract for the next few years. Starts to get a uh, sh- little bit iffy as you go along. Then they sign Hyman to an almost exactly the same contract. So this is another moment where the Oilers have decided to trade the, uh, trade the future for the present. Now this time, I hope it works. Honestly, I hope, obviously I think it's probably going to work. I think it's the right move. And I'm more sure this time that it's the right move in the short term, which I think is really important than, than the last time. So the last time these two things happened, it's happened all through McDavid's career. As soon as they drafted the guy, Bruce, and I call this the McDavid effect, and it's mm-hmm. this huge pressure when you bring in a superstar player like that, especially in the modern age, especially when there was all this hoopla about winning the contract in McDavid's ELC. Remember all that talk? Like, you got to win. The, if yeah. if Shirely doesn't win the cup in McDavid's ELC, he's a failure as a GM. All kinds of fans were saying that all the time. You and I may have said it, too. I may have said it. I don't know. I can't remember if oh. I said it. It was a, it was a commonly thing. And so what did we see? We saw a trade for Griffin Reinhardt of, so they traded, they wanted to get a guy who was 21 and was going to make the team quicker than a guy, then got players who were 17 when they were drafted. So, so you, you kind of speed things up, you win earlier. And then the, the big move was of course, signing Milan, Milan Lucic and you know, both of those moves turned out to be disastrous for the Edmonton Oilers. You just, just disastrous, except for one thing, Bruce, Lucic did have one good year. And And it helped the Oilers. The the team did it. Helped the Oilers break out of the decade of darkness. Like, and we forget we forget all these things. Like they were in the decade of darkness still. And there there was huge pressure to get McDavid to sign to win in Edmonton, so McDavid would sign another contract, a long term contract. There was immense pressure about that, not just a small amount. Mm -hmm. So Shirelli trying to speed things up. What GM wouldn't have done that? Who wouldn't have felt that pressure and who wouldn't have gone for it in a similar fashion? Now, they might have made different moves, and this is where we can quibble. But the whole idea, uh, and not just quibble, but out and out fight, but the whole idea of winning now, the McDavid effect has been in place since McDavid got here. It had an impact then. Bruce, um, it continued. We saw it again last year. We saw it with uh, Tyson Berry coming in. So instead of going with Evan Bouchard and maybe taking a few bumps and and losses with a younger D-man who had shown in the HL he was ready for the a- NHL, uh, but was probably not going to be a star in that first year. And may- who knows what was going to happen? You just never know, do you? But so they bring in Tyson Berry, the veteran, mm-hmm. and in the end he has a good year. But he it, it works out that he postpones, delays Bouchard's development. So this is another example of the McDavid um effect which is win now win now the pressure is always huge mm-hmm. to win now and it has an impact now and maybe 3 years from now we'll be saying oh man was that ever a mistake like signing these two
1: oh.
0: late 20s guys and one's got a bad knee and the other's games dropped off completely we could be saying that mm-hmm.
1: well it- bring up a couple of interesting points there. One is 2017 after that run, in, that little run into the game seven of the, of the uh, division finals, that was the summer where they signed McDavid and Drysdale right after because yeah. the team was on that success. So they got those eight years from those two guys, but now four of those eight years are gone. Well, three in the case of McDavid who, whose contract was a year later to kick in, but you know, four years later, where are we? Uh, And one place we are four years later is that Connor McDavid, who's now a six-year, entering his seventh year in the NHL, is still one of the very youngest players on the team. Wow. You know, like he's still just uh, um, 24 years old, and there's only a handful of guys on the team that are younger than him. And I mean, they moved on from a few of them last summer when they moved out to uh, Bear and Jones, for example, and Yamamoto is kind of in limbo at this moment. And we've got Pooley Harvey and give me the, Evan Bouchard, give me the long list of other guys. Yeah. Well, there's lots of McDavid.
0: Well, the, one of the things in, at play here though, is the prospects tend to stay on the farm a little longer here. So they're not on the big team. Um, you know you know Bouchard would um, have been on the team in the decade of darkness when he was 19 and he would have stayed who knows if one of the forwards might have somehow burst onto the scene and been given a boost earlier on you just you just never know. but there's one thing I will say about um, you know after when they signed those long-term contracts and there was two two more bad years is Secura? they lost two number one defensemen in a row yeah. uh, Secura and clefbaum um, you know, both when Secker came back, his performance was obviously drastically altered. And clefbaum's play, I think, after the 2017 playoffs, we never saw the same Oscar Klevbom again. After those playoffs, he was sometimes okay or sometimes good, but he just was never like he was. He was trending as a real good number one D man in the NHL, and he got hurt there, aggravated an older injury with his shoulder, and and now we we are where we are with that player. So a couple, couple big. Uh, Big, ugly things. You know, Bruce, Ron McLean, this is McDavid's seventh year. (sighs) Merrill Lemieux won the cup in his seventh year. When you look at superstars in the NHL, um, Lemieux's about, like, this level of Superstar. It's about as long as we've gone with a real superstar. The seventh year, Lemieux, is that's kind of the outside edge Mm -hmm. for winning the cup. Usually they do it first, second, third, fourth, fifth year. Ron McLean of Hockey Night in Canada, Mm -hmm. after the Orders drafted McDavid, said he thought they were going to do it in three or four years, the Orders win a cup. And if you give him a couple of drinks, he'd say two years. So there is all of this. This is, again, the McDavid effect. All of this pressure, all of this Mm -hmm. expectation. And um, we're at it again. But seven years, like... This is why I say this winning now, I accept it. I, I I don't like long-term contracts, anyone, any more than anyone else who looks at hockey actuarial tables and understands how few players play well at ages 32, 33, 34. Everyone, you know, lots of people know that now and they get that and they know these are probably going to be bad contracts down the road, mm-hmm. but I get it. I get the need to do this and I'm going to, I approve of it. I'm, I'm glad they did it at this point. I think it was the right move. You
1: well, getting the two five million dollar wingers, yeah. I mean, um, yeah, the left left wing and and um, um, top six needed needed a top up, and uh, um, you know, pr- keeping Nugent Hopkins around and then uh, bringing on Hyman, you know, like he's going to take basically Cahoon's spot. In the top six cahoon played most of the games last year in the top six and who's playing where with who uh that, they'll mix and match that a little bit but uh i don't think uh, left wing is going to be a weakness on the first second or third lines uh this year like it has been in in other recent years where they have uh one left winger who was actually a center either uh Nugent hopkins or dry playing left wing and other guys were you know were cut below uh essentially their counterparts on other teams
0: yeah and um they also brought in Warren Fogel of course
1: mm-hmm. yeah it's the third you know line, we yeah. don't
0: we don't know if he's capable of moving up the lineup or not you know you, he never really did in carolina um but if yamamoto's out that, that's another possibility. I hope Yamamoto comes back. I hope he signs
1: soon. I have half an idea we might see at some point, and might be sooner than later, uh, Fogle uh, with McDavid and Hyman on the right wing. Yeah. Training, training buddies have at her, and putting Hyman on his natural side. And, and especially if there's any issues with Yamamoto, they don't necessarily have to promote other right wingers. One of the things they can do is flip Hyman.
0: So, yeah, and then they then they play Nuge and maybe Marodi. What do you, Bruce? I was oh, kind of bullish oh, on Marodi in that spot. Mm-hmm. It might, maybe Cassian. What do you, do you do? You share that feeling or thought, or what? What is your thinking about that?
1: I like the player. Uh, I'm not sure the team does. Like, they, yeah, I know. Yeah, I agree. You know what? I mean, Charlie uh, made the trade for him. We traded a third round pick for him, and he brought him in his first year that he was here. He got called up three times in uh, October, November, December, for about a week each time. He played a few games, not a ton of ice time. And then um, uh, coach got fired, and then GM got fired in January. And after Shirelli left, Marodi hasn't had a single minute of ice time in Edmonton, and that's like two and a half years later. And most of that time, at least, you know, he had one, one injury – plagued i think it's fair to say year his second year in the organization but he never got called up uh, at the end of that first year and even when the season was essentially uh down the drain and then uh last year of course never got a sniff never got made the taxi squad and never seemed to really be in the in the uh in the thinking of the org and you'd like to think he with a new contract and with no more uh, waiver exemption, that they're going to have to come to a decision that they will at least look at them and give them a decent fair shot at uh, training camp. And uh, uh, it's onus to me is on the organization to do that. They've invested a lot of time and a nice draft pick in this player. Let's, uh, let's give the guy a shot of some description.
0: You just never hear his name, really. Like when the Oilers, like when the insider media people are talking mm-hmm. about the Oilers, you just you hear about Denson. You mm-hmm. just really do not hear about uh, Cooper Morody. He didn't, you know, from what I saw, he didn't particularly shine in the playoffs last year uh, mm-hmm. for Bakersfield. But um, I liked him in his spree. He played what five, six games for the Oilers previously. I liked how he played. Um, he's really just really good with the puck. He's really sp- puck. Um, yeah, Marody, Drysdale, and Nuge that would be an interesting line because you'd have two people who can really pass the puck setting up dry, dry for a shot. One of the things we saw last year was dry sidles, even strength, um, scoring was goal scoring was down. And I think he really missed Nooch passing him the puck, you know, you, you that elite passer. So, uh, get two of them on there and set the big man up for the executioner's shot. <laughs> that wicked one timer, that mm-hmm. tricycle unleashes at the goalie like he was going to hack the goalie's head off with the puck, or his <laughs> stick. Uh, I'd, uh anyway, I, anyway, I'm not. I'm kind of curious about seeing that. Which kind of so that alleviates some of the angst that I have about the Yamamoto contract. Although I agree, like I'd love to see it done as well, Bruce. I'm not. I I get your sentiment on that, but I do think there's. I, I understand the need to get to play it tough too.
1: You got to be growing your team from within to some extent. Yes, you got to. You know, and if you know, even now a first round draft pick in Yamamoto. Well, he's not a top ten draft pick like all those other guys, but he's still a successful first round draft pick who's, you know, who's got a you know who's got a lot of game and, and uh, plays two hundred feet, and he's twenty two years old. I mean, sure he struggled at the end of last year, and you're going to get him cheap because of that. But, you know, anyway, whatever, whatever you're going to talk, you're going to have with his camp, have the talk. Like I heard today that uh, Oilers uh, Holland had talked to his agent for the first time in ages today. Uh, Yeah. Why is that?
0: Well, it would be because they're so far apart. They just need to let it sit for a while and. See who makes the first. They're playing chicken. Who's going to make the first phone call? I don't know what they're. You know, I don't. I'm not a negotiator at that level, so I have no yeah. idea how it works.
1: Solomon was on vacation for a while in there, but holy moly! Anyway, it's it's. Uh, I'm a build from within guy. I always have been. So.
0: I'm well, so to get am I. Agitated
1: with some of these moves.
0: Herodian <laughs> Benson are all f- also from within. You know, and they would be, He would be replaced from within fr- from people who have paid their dues. Yeah. I just wonder if it's best for him to sign a one or two year deal in terms of like this competition, P- pull it, contracts up after this year. Mm-hmm. So let's say that yes, he pulley improves on his play last year and scores like 20 to 25 goals and maybe 50 points this year, which would put him in line for, you know, that kind of contract that we saw for Drake Batherson. And, uh, who was the other dude that got the big money? Um,
1: it's not Paul oh, in Philly.
0: Here. Yeah. Oh, uh, We'll get it in a second even yep. though <laughs> guys like us will get it in a second won't we uh and we'll yeah. cheat if we have to really uh <laughs> um so is it better for yamamoto and pulley rv essentially to go head for head head to head this season uh for that contract or is it better f- for yamamoto to sign for two years for instance and see what happens with with pulley rv i guess and uh, well, I like, there
1: if they can afford to, then, yeah. But the second year is going to cost way more than the first year for the, for the, the team. Uh-huh. So, you know, because he's given up then a year of, uh, of ARB rights. Yeah. And whereas the first year, a comm- uh, Yamamoto has no rights at all and an offer sheet, which doesn't appear to be forthcoming. So it's, uh, um, but if he signs for two years, he, you know, the average value is going to have to go up by a few hundred grand at least. But if, do they have space? I mean, this is this is where they they, painted themselves in a the corner years ago with Darnell Nurse, where there was talk that they could have gone deep with Nurse at five million a year, but they only had three and a half in cap space, so they could only sign him for three point two, so they only could sign him for two years. Well, here we are paying that piper a few years later, right Now yeah the five year contract he could have uh, year after next is now nine and a quarter million. And that's the dice roll.
0: Joel Farabee
1: is yes, the player. Thank you. I
0: googled it. Uh, Joel Farabee's also signed that that mega contract. What, are they, what, what, what is that? Five million a year? For
1: yeah, seven? yeah, right around five million a year for six yeah. years. He had 38 sports. points in 56 games. Do well, you think I can remember his, his name?
0: <laughs> so he's going he, this is the contract they I think they got one of those in their system mm-hmm. and they probably give out you know they lose Koskinen's money they got Keith for 2 years at his big dollar and then he'll either be gone or be paid a lot less so so you know you could use Koskinen's money to sign Puljarvi to that deal and and then you could use Keith's money to sign Yamamoto if you wanted to try but then then you got bouchard coming along he's going to need some money and you got you know broberry and samarukov you have holloway maybe lavois whoever works out so it's going to be we're going to have some painful moments in years to come like this yamamoto thing is small pain compared to the future pain that we're going to have if the oilers are successful so this is the modern nhl this is it even if they're not successful like the toronto maple leafs i mean they they lost zach hyman How how do you think that felt in toronto not very good I'm yep. sure. And now they're looking at maybe losing, you know, they can't sign Morgan Riley. And maybe they won't be able to. So right. it's brutal, the way it, brutal the way it works when the caps, especially when the caps stagnant like this.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you wouldn't think a cap was stagnant the way some GMs were throwing money around this summer, though. I mean, that's the part I don't quite get. But you give one team a little bit of space, cap space, they spend it all on one guy, and then that establishes the new market for whoever comes next. Yeah.
0: So. Indeed. Well, Bruce, uh, let's leave it there. Um, hmm. We've got rookie camp starting, and we got some. We got a Indeed. game Saturday night. We'll probably be on Saturday night doing a podcast Saturday night after the game, if all not right. before then, if Yamamoto signs.
1: Yeah, it'll be on Oilers. Um, uh, NHL.com, and I think probably their YouTube channel and stuff. They play uh, Friday, uh, five o'clock on Saturday, and six o'clock on Monday. And no fans, only, uh, only the live streaming. So we'll be uh, in place to watch uh, both of those encounters, I'm sure.
0: Bruce, thanks for talking.
1: Thanks for listening, everyone.
0: And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of hockey podcast.